Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nasty, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring fantasy flight games as Arkham Horror the card game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're revisiting The Circle Undone to talk about all things done and all things not done, including the return to Circle Undone. I'm assuming that the circle was never actually done, right? Like, it, there's just never a done phase of the circle. It's just still undone. I think you kind of just keep looping around it forever. You know, it's like a, I mean, there, it's like a, it's like it's like a NASCAR race. You're doing like 200 laps or something. I mean, I thought the circle was like you know a metaphor, or not a metaphor, but a comparison to you know like a cycle that we're trying to break, the cycle of Cthulhu's or Azeroth's or whatever. No, I was hoping kinda... I was hoping there would be like a permanent that you could get that's a circle, and it's like it's like slightly, slightly you know, not together, and no matter how hard you try, you have to take a combat test to push it together, and no matter what, you can't do it. It's just, like, impossible. It's like the thing in, um, Labyrinths, where you take that test to, like, scream or something, and then nobody hears you, and it doesn't matter anyway. It's probably in the puzzle box somewhere. It's just, like, MJ probably had, like, several paragraphs describing that uh, when you try to solve the puzzle box, but but she couldn't fit it on the back of the, uh, agenda so where they act so this is this is all this is all very dumb but at least we're talking about shapes i I can (laughs) never i can never be completely mad as long as we're mentioning some shapes um yeah circle undone i mean pretty pretty fun campaign right we we like it one of our favorites for sure i I think it does together in general i think it does have a relatively controversial kind of status among players as a whole like i I think there's some people that really don't like it Um, really Wow. Isn't that true? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, oh, I don't know. I, I've talked to some people that really don't like it. Um, and I think we'll probably may, might touch on some of those reasons today. Uh, but, like, I think in solo it's not as fun, and there's some mechanics that, like, uh, just people don't like. Um, so Maybe this is all the, the secret th- players who just press one button, and now they're getting punished for, for pressing that one button. Well, well no, see, Seekers, Seekers just passed those tests. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, that's, that's true. Th- this is an aside, but I'm really curious. Which campaign do the solo players like? Because I feel like every campaign we talk about, it's like, oh, the solo players hate it because this one scenario is virtually impossible for solo. I've, people seem to like Innsmouth a lot. Uh, even though it has the Innsmouth with the massive maps that are probably I know, I was going to say, wait. Solo. I, I mean, I think, like, I don't know if the giant maps are as much as a hindrance as we think. I mean, that has a lot of actions mm-hmm. to move around, but I think it's more like what's in the encounter deck or um even, i feel even like, like in- even like how long it takes to set up or take down the scenario like someone I was yeah. talking to someone and they, they don't like dreamlands because like it has kadath which we like but you have to set up the scenario yeah. five times <laughs> which, <laughs> you do. which i mean if you're playing solo you expect like a 30 minute game uh and that insmith really also i think in most scenarios insmith gives you a pretty high doom threshold I think what really sucks for solo is big maps and like low doom threshold or doom threshold that doesn't scale with like the number of players or something. So yeah, maybe, maybe it's not so bad, but anyway, so yeah, circle undone. Uh, there, there it is. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a couple of these before. Usually we just kind of like, uh, have some questions that kind of talk about the campaign. And as we reflect back on it, this is what, is this three years old now? Two and a half, maybe. 
It's like four seconds uh, ago, but I think um, yeah, I think it was like 2019, maybe. Yeah. Wow. So it's been a while. If this we campaign had... were a human child, it could almost walk, right? Uh, I don't know anything about children, but <laughs> I th- I think children get up on the on the feet faster than that usually, but I don't know either. So, um, <laughs> uh, all right. So yeah. So first up, this this campaign introduced the prologue scenario, which we haven't seen since, uh, and it's like. What do we think of this? Do we think it's fun? Not fun? It's just kind of a little scenario where you play as like these NPC-ish characters that uh, uh, you never play again. Um, and that, but how you do kind of affects some parts of the campaign. I don't know. What do you What do you guys think of the prologue? I remember now, and I'm starting to understand why people hate Circle Undone because I completely forget that there's a prologue that you have to play. I think that like the prologue is fun. It's a neat concept by itself. And it was it was cool to to see like right when it came out and to play through blind, but returning to it, I almost I I, I will never play this live again. I will always go to uh, the arcane sorcery somehow on the internet and uh, play this without having to set it up because there's there's a fair bit of setup involved in that you have to go into your collection and collect very specific cards to put in people's hands and put in people's play areas. And then you play for about a half an hour and then it's done. And then it's like, okay, pack it up. And then you have to get out a whole new set of stuff for the first scenario, which for me, that's just like, that's just too much for live play. Um, But, you know, suppose there were some sort of, um, you know, uh, way that you could play it online where the entirety of the setup would be done for you. Great. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, I I think I like it as like um it's kind of like a little puzzle challenge because you have like seven rounds at most basically, but usually less, and it's kind of trying to solve like you have limited resources, you can't rely on like drawing stuff from your deck, so you kind of like have almost all of the pieces of the puzzle out uh, at the start of the game, other than like encounter cards. So you can kind of try to puzzle out like oh how can I get the most clues, how can I survive as long as possible, uh, but it has a lot less replayability because. Uh, at least like I usually play three or four players so it's usually like all the people are there so there's not that much difference every time you play it um, which kind of kills it so and return to doesn't really change it too much it like makes the encounter cards a little bit harder so I appreciate in return to how they added the option to like kind of randomize it using the tarot cards Um, yeah I I would just add that you know when you when we're playing a campaign i mean you know we're all adults we have jobs we have whatever like you know often we're either like hanging out for a weekend and we're trying to get through a whole campaign like eight scenarios or we're like scheduling some kind of weekly thing and there's already like it's going to take eight weeks to get through this it's really hard to say like oh well let's add a ninth thing here at the beginning right like it's you know the campaign's already really long and i think the prologue it's very cool the first couple of times you do it but i yeah for me it's just it doesn't quite justify the extra time, including the setup time, that it that it takes to do it. But I I, I still like the idea and I still think it's neat. Um, I we might talk about this later, but I think this was something we complained about originally was it doesn't really affect the rest of the campaign that much. Like you right. eventually see these people again, but not until very close to the end. And it's very hard to get, add them to your decks. It's there's kind of a very specific set of tasks you have to do um so because of that it just yeah it feels like you can skip it and you don't really lose anything it doesn't really make the campaign any less fun if you just skip it yeah like the number of clues you get like makes scenario two a little easier and depending how they die 
has impacts on scenarios six, six, yeah. So yeah, yeah. and yeah, if you manage to keep them alive to like round seven or something, you have a chance to like get them as an ally. But uh, I don't think I've actually succeeded at that, so I don't actually. Pretty, it's pretty hard to do. Good. So you have to remember exactly the way that each of them needs to be taken, like. Somebody needs to be taken by the Spectral Watcher. Somebody needs to be pulled into the mist, etc. And like, it's just for me, it's it's never worth it for that because of the fact that Dan said, which is basically just that it basically affects nothing else. And their fate, their the entirety of their fate, whether or not you get them as an ally or you see them as an enemy or just nothing happens, is in one scenario. It'd be really nice if that was kind of spread out and you get to like kind of see some remnants if they're you know like being dragged all over the spectral realm somewhere you could see like a little bit of that in scenario 3 a little bit of that in scenario 4 something yeah, like that even just even but even if everything happens. even if everything goes great and you do get them you save them and they get get added to your decks that only happens for the last two scenarios of the game and at right. that point it's it's like who cares so yeah uh one thing i would like to mention that i never noticed before uh valentino rivas's art does he remind anyone else of Ellis from Die Hard? Yeah. And you're going to be upset, but I still haven't this... seen Die Hard. It was, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's got the same kind of goatee, you know, he's got the same kind of smile on his, you know, kind of shitty and grin. I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Um, okay. I, okay. I, I could see that. Yeah. And one other question, if, if they did like a standalone where they had like, Kind of, that was similar to this, where you didn't use the regular investigators, that you used like some subset of like ten investigators and had like a puzzle type of thing. Would that be fun if it was like oh its own little standalone, or would that kind of suck because you, depending on how we playable it is, I guess I don't know. I think they could they could definitely improve on it. Like like Batboy said in chat, I totally uh, agree with it. Um, just that I would love to see this idea sort of revisited in the future. In a different way, like like used and and kind of all of our critiques, or at least some of them addressed in a way that where um, it has a little bit more impact on the rest of the scenario, and like it 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 forces me to want to go to it because everybody likes the the kind of starting in the middle of action type thing. Um, you've seen it in video games before, like Mega Man and stuff like that, where you're just pitted against this boss or whatever that you're supposed to lose against. And no matter how hard you try, you just can't win, right? So, like, some games start like that, and I think that that was kind of the intent with this. But for me, not factoring in the fact that you have to set everything up was a little bit of a miss. I to, to answer Ben's question, uh, if they made a standalone like that, I would play it once and possibly enjoy it, and then probably never play it again. Because I think a lot of the replayability and fun of the game comes from bringing your own deck or playing around with different decks. Um, so any, any type of, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, th that is one thing that I think kind of limits how fun this campaign is, is that you don't really get to like make whatever deck you want to bring it kind of also like uh city of archives has this problem a little bit also. Um, yeah. Which so, yeah, is another I, polarizing scenario. Yeah. I, I think that is another kind of, but you know, both city of archives and this are, are interesting narratively and I'm, I'm glad that they did both things. It's just that, uh, I'm, I'm pr usually quite satisfied to skip this if we go back and do TCU again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I guess, uh, as mentioned in chat, it's a little bit like Barkham. Like, I played Barkham once, and, you know, it was fun. But yeah, Barkham was fun. It was a good time. Much motivation to do it again. That one's a little bit, like, you at least can, like, build decks for those guys, for the dogs or whatever in, in Barkham. But, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you do it once, and then it doesn't have as much replayability. So, um, so why don't we move on? Uh, so, 
there was a mechanic, uh, keys introduced in for, for the greater good, um, which kind of became a core uh, mechanic of Insmith, and I think we've seen it in a couple other scenarios as well. Um, what do you guys think of this keys mechanic? Uh, now that we've definitely seen it a lot in Innsmouth, uh, along with this initial iteration, are we kind of glad this stuck around, or is it kind of like uh, wearing on us now? I think keys are a really versatile mechanic, honestly. I think that like when they first appeared here, they kind of just made sense with the rules. It was like, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. And I wasn't really expecting for it to be a larger thing, but the way they implemented it in Innsmouth made a lot of sense, and you can do just a lot with, with this mechanic. You can you can use them for a whole bunch of different things, and I think that one of our critiques of Innsmouth was that the keys weren't used as much. Like, they weren't used in, in really cool or interesting ways. It was more to just sort of develop the storyline. And for me, one of my favorite parts... One of my favorite parts about ever using keys ever is in this scenario where at the end you have to collect all of them and then there's a bunch of flavor text about what each one does when it gets clicked into the box or whatever. And keys can represent anything. So it's kind of like, I feel like it could be an evergreen mechanic eventually if they wanted to re-implement it again beyond Innsmouth. And it'd kind of be easy to do that. So I, I honestly really like the mechanic. Yeah, it's it's definitely cool. I mean, I think to to the extent that we've ever criticized it, it's only been that we wish they did more with it. Right. Like, I, I think the only downside to keys is that sometimes it ends up feeling not that different from just collecting all the clues in a scenario. Um, like, you have to collect a bunch of clues to advance the act or to open a door or something. A lot of times, uh, the keys are just a reason to make you collect clues, right? Um, and I think that... For the Greater Good is a pretty good implementation of them, and a couple of the Innsmouth scenarios also did interesting things with them. So yeah, I, I really like keys. I would love to see them used more. I just would like to see them get even more creative with how they work. Yeah, I mean, I think the benefit of keys is, um, like, yeah, you, they make you collect clues, but that's what most stuff does. But it's kind of like they're, they tie, they're, they tie uh, objects to certain locations that clues, because they're more generic, can't be tied that way. So, like, you know, how they do their 40 greater good, you need to get the skull, you have to get the clues from one location, and then you have to bring the skull to some other location to benefit from it. Um, so I guess that's yeah. where the versatility mechanically kind of comes in. It lets you uh, have some other object you have to carry on the board other than clues uh, directly. Yeah, so. but, but I guess what makes it really fun is when it's more than just this key has to go here, this key has to go here. For the greater good has an encounter card that does bad stuff to you depending on which keys you have, yeah. which is yes. it's not yes. it's not incredibly a, really a fun card, but that kind of thing that's like triggering off of who has the keys is cool. Um, I think we also we've seen enemies that are hunt after people that have keys, which is kind of yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see more of that. Um, you know, just anything that like makes like having a key has gameplay effects and changes the way you play. I think it is really exciting, and I, I'd love to see more of that. Yeah, you can treat it like a hot potato like you got to pick it up and bring it somewhere and drop it as fast as you can type of thing where where bad stuff happens exactly yeah 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 i think i think the the my favorite scenario that keys are introduced were were, uh, used in was the seventh scenario in in smith where all the keys could do different things like you could spend them and they get put on the scenario card and i guess minor spoilers for for the seventh scenario in in smith but um they all do different things that feel impactful like they you could use it one to open a door for example or you can like use another one to pick up a weird statue and then flip that statue to be a stronger version of itself with another key so like you can use them as kind of like a an interesting in an interesting way that that like clues would just kind of feel bland using 
And but I think the one criticism that I have of keys is that uh, you can only give them to other people. You can't take them from other people, which was really annoying in in some some aspects because uh, there there I mean I guess in other Arkham Horror games like Arkham Horror Third Edition and and maybe in um, Elder Tor and stuff, you can kind of trade items, and it's sort of like a consensual sort of two way thing. And in this specifically, you can only give your keys. You cannot like take them from another investigator, provided the consent. So yeah, that is that is a little weird. Like like it's an action to give keys. Feels like it should be an action to be able to take them. You know, yeah, it could be some type of consent thing where you don't want to like say, oh, I'm taking an action. I'm taking your keys or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I would love to see. I would love to see it there'd just be an action which is choose another investigator at your location you and that investigator may exchange any number of keys yeah that's exactly it yeah uh i mean so, so yeah. maybe it's possible they had that and they play tested and like oh this makes it slightly too easy or something maybe yeah i don't think i don't think that's what happened uh probably not <laughs> but, no. um yeah all right so uh, what about, there's a couple other scenarios that kind of have unique mechanics um that we haven't really seen repeated uh, like uh, Secret Name, uh, Union Disillusion, and uh, probably the biggest one is In the Clutches of the Chaos. Um, how do we think these uh, mechanics work in the Arkham setting? Like, do they uh, smoothly transition into it and keep you in the setting, or is there someone that might kind of take you out? Yeah, I mean, to me, like, Clutches of Chaos is the one that really stands out among these, right? Because one of the great things about this game... Um, is that you know every scenario has usually something mechanically going on that is kind of unique. Um, so like for instance, even uh, like Wages of Sin, which isn't mentioned here, has like the two different encounter decks, right? Um, yeah. Which is which is also kind of like a unique mechanic. But to me, like Clutches of Chaos is is very unique, uh, or is is completely unique in that it's um, it totally messes with the way that advancement, like the way the act and agenda decks work. You know, you're not just trying to progress through a deck kind of linearly by collecting clues. Uh, you're kind of doing that, but mostly you're trying to, you know, do pandemic. You're trying to, like, keep the explosions from going off. And instead of just adding doom, you're adding these breaches and, and you know, whatever whatever's happening. So, like, uh, I, I do like that scenario, and I, I would love to see more stuff like that. I You know, it, it keeps things fresh, and I think that in general, the one of the reasons that I like TCU a lot is it does have this kind of, uh, you know, gameplay creativity where the scenarios do feel really different to play and they are interesting challenges that make you think differently. Yeah. To kind of expand on that a little, I think that that's kind of one of the thing, one of the reasons why I also really like the circle undone because the first scenario or the first, uh, campaign that we saw that happen in was Carcosa. Like, Dunwich kind of had its own stuff, but for the most part, sort of stayed within its own box. And Carcosa kind of broke that entirely open with, like, having two agenda decks in one. Um, It had, like, the whole unreliable narrator thing that was happening the entire time. Forgotten Age kind of got away from it again because it was mostly focusing on Explore and, like, the tallies. And then we come to Circle Undone, where... Uh, it has almost every single scenario has its own little thing going on. Like even in uh, the secret name, as mentioned, we we are inter- reintroduced to rats, which are everywhere all the time and just kind of an annoying enemy. And then that scaling health thing makes them really annoying to deal with and kind of actually a threat for some investigators, which is really cool because it changes the way that we look at you know just a very basic core set card. Um, and 
you know, going to Union and Disillusion, the, um, the, the Brazier thing, that's a whole new thing that nobody's ever really seen before. So, like, each... The whole of of the um of, of this the circle undone has its own identity, but also within it, each scenario has very defined mechanics that make them all feel unique. Even like um for the greater good, right? You've got keys, which were were a new thing, and uh they're much more memorable that way. I think like like there's it's hard to pick a greatest hits because all of them are so unique and kind of hit you in different ways. Whereas like Dunwich for me, is just kind of unremarkable in that sense, because the the whole thing was sort of not really unique, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, Dunwich Hats uses its uniqueness in, like, how the scenarios are, like, or organized or set up, like, you can remember training or, like, exploring the museum or whatever, but there's not, like, anything crazy going on with the extra agendas, which... Yeah. After that, we've seen a lot of it in Carcosa, as you said, and we see it in this, and, and we see it in future scenarios, which is always fun. Um, I think one critique I've heard about some of these scenarios is they're like a little bit too finicky. Like you have to keep track of like, oh, Brown Jenkins on the board, so the enemies have extra health, or oh, uh, it's you know it's agenda whatever, so they have. Oh sure, two. sure. Do you think that um, hinders your gameplay at all? Like, do you come back when you play through it, just like, oh shoot, I forgot this guy had plus two health or whatever? Um, or do you think it's like a reasonable level? It's definitely not like Batman level uh, of confusion, uh, but uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that's yeah. I mean, that's always a challenge in this game, if you spe- uh, where you have to keep track of stuff like that. Um, and as you as you mentioned, that was one of the things about Batman was that it, I think asked even more of us than the official campaigns usually do. I didn't think that Circle Undone was really any worse in that regard than typical FFG campaigns. Although I'm you know I, I can see the the argument that maybe it is. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think there's some mechanics that get a little weird, like the Brown Jenkins thing that you mentioned, um, because the agenda has, like, they all get some amount of health, and then Brown Jenkins gets, makes that them all get plus some amount of fight, and the Hob makes them all get plus something else. So, like, there's a lot to keep track of in that there's different cards in play, but there's not so much that I become overloaded or forget because the map is kind of small, specifically in the secret name. Um, I think that if with a bigger map like um like uh union of disillusion or like clutches of chaos it might have been harder if you're using those kinds of mechanics with it but they kind of maybe knew that and made bigger maps you know less complex in that way so okay um yeah anything else to say on this stuff uh, I guess not. So Jenkins uh, is one of the most terrifying things in the face of the uh, Arkham experience. Yeah, he's very scary. Um, <laughs> I, I guess we could maybe mention that Union and Dissolution honestly feels like one of the less interesting scenarios to me, just because by the time you get to that point, you've done a lot of really weird scenarios that have cool, interesting things going on, and then you get to Union and Dissolution, and it's like, okay, there's tests where you add up two different stats. Like that's not that weird. Um, it's still not. It's not a bad scenario. It's just that that feels to me like the normalist. TCU scenario. Yeah, I mean that one also brings back like the bird mechanic that we saw. Birds. Um, the bird. I mean, isn't that just whippoorwills? Like, what else is going on there? It's whippoorwills and there's crows and there's also like psychopomp song things that make yeah. you take extra damage when that's, you would receive that's, instant that's damage. That's more of a that's more of a theme than really like a, a mechanic. Well, sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, let's uh, we can move on to this one. So. Um, 
Haunted uh, was a big mechanic throughout the whole campaign where you'd have locations that would have some type of failure penalty if you failed when investigating. Um, do you think this was like an effective way at changing how you think about investigating in this campaign? Yes. Uh, I, I love Haunted, <laughs> and I, I would love to see it become a core mechanic and be reused in like all campaigns. It's, it's not perfect. Like I would love to see other ways to make investigating more interesting as well, but um, I think it definitely makes investigating more interesting, right? Like... Uh, I, I guess if there's any, if there's a knock against it, it's maybe that it just kind of uh, you know enshrines seeker supremacy because seekers can just pass tests and they don't need to do some kind of nonsense like play look what I found or uh, you know skeleton key or something to pick up clues. So maybe it is kind of harsher on some classes and some decks than others. But uh, I just like the idea of making you think a little bit more before you just kind of blindly spam investigate three times on the same location. You know. Yeah, because sometimes totally. you'd be like up by two or whatever, which you know, like seventy five percent of the time you'll pass, and you might just do that three times. And you know, if you fail, it's no big deal. But in this, it's like you really got to think about the additional cost of failure. Like some of these are kind of nasty. Like yeah, like you drop clues, or you take damage, or make enemies attack you, or move around, or whatever. So Re- remember also that Circle Undone was, I believe, was the the cycle where Drawing Thin was printed. And, uh, you know, we, we and everybody else immediately saw Drawing Thin and said, this is an incredibly powerful card, right? And it certainly is. But we also noticed as we played through Circle Undone with it that Circle Undone does kind of have, like, you know, dr- uh, you know Drawing Thin hate built in because of all the haunted locations, because of a couple Chaos tokens. So it, it does kind of punish sort of like, uh, it, it punishes things like Drawing Thin a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, definitely. It punishes survivors the most, right? They, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Whenever I think of this scenario or this this campaign, I'm always think never play survivor. <laughs> like yeah. I just never want to. And I mean, before like at this point in the game's running, I don't think survivor had that many great tools for getting clues. Um, I, like they didn't have keyring yet. I mean, they had like flashlight and look what I found, but look what I found relies on failing. You know. Right. Um, right. I think so, winging it was out probably. I mean, yeah so like a lot of their stuff is like reducing the shroud down but you know they not as much as like stacking up their int which you know sometimes is a, is a lot stronger getting clues consistently so but yeah uh, I, I think one of the interesting things and, and bad boy kind of brought it up uh in chat about like how the difference between playing in multiplayer and playing solo is, I could imagine that Haunted specifically would make the solo experience much harder. And I could see very, like very much why um, if you're playing anything, but, but you know, somebody with at least four in why this campaign specifically would be much harsher just because of the fact that Haunted pervades through the entire thing. And then also each of the different mechanics make it kind of tough to play or maybe just different to play at solo because there's so much more going on than like a campaign like Dunwich, where it's very straightforward, aren't a lot of two, you know, a lot of bells and whistles that are doing a whole bunch of different things. Um, just having like something like the Nether Mist uh, thing that c- comes out sometimes and just hunts after you and makes everything just worse would be so harsh if you're playing somebody like Roland or somebody who who you know might not be able to get clues very easily. So I think that that's definitely another point for Haunted. Yeah, yeah. I imagine a solo because in solo you need to be able to do everything, uh, and it's hard to be like a master of one thing. Um, so it might be 
But probably a little harder to consistently grab clues. I don't know. But but solo people also, you know, cards like Scene of the Crime or Drawn of the Flame or Working a Hunch are really powerful, right? Like cards that pick up one or two clues without even having to do a test. And those are excellent against Haunted, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it can make you try to build more in like the hard hard or expert sense where you want to like skip doing tests as much as you can um, to avoid the Haunted effect. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I think I think the one thing that I maybe don't that I'm sad about haunted is that it's called haunted because I really do want this to be an evergreen mechanic and it might be kind of a flavor miss on other scenarios where like maybe you're in you know if you're in Antarctica or something can you really say this like glacier is haunted no well, I mean I guess maybe I, haunted, I know that there it was a flavor like win in this, but I mean haunted can be kind of more of a metaphorical thing. I, I think they could fudge it if they needed to. It could also just redefine it. I mean, we do see in other scenarios where there's like just an effect on a location that's like, oh, if you fail a skill test here, or something happens, or or if you fit, fit right. to, uh, succeed by two or whatever, you know, it's not it's, like it's kind of places. It's like the the name for like how hard it is to get clues off a location is shroud. Like, what is what does that mean? Right? It's like whatever. It's just a. It's just that's what the name is. Yeah. There. Yeah, that's true. Um. So we mentioned a couple of these. Uh already but like any scenario cards that really stick out in your mind other than metal some familiar which we talk about in like every other podcast uh, from from the, from this cafe either because of like they have really dope art or the mechanics are memorable or whatever reason um what sticks out in your minds definitely a lot of a lot of good options um uh i i think fate of all fools is one that really stands out partly because the art is really badass uh partly because it's a very i i honestly don't know how i feel about it the original version like on the one hand i think it's kind of cool on the other hand it feels so punishing and so random in who gets the first one that sometimes i'm really frustrated by it i I guess if i draw it then i think it's uh it's a really terribly designed card that should never have been printed and someone else draws it i'm like oh i look at this game design going on here uh so (laughs) (laughs) um no i I mean it's but but i think it is it is really cool i think that the we're not like officially talking about return to yet but this is a card that maybe because people complained about it they kind of revised it for return to and they basically replaced it with a new version and honestly yeah and the the new version is it kind of just feels like it doesn't really do anything um like i I guess it's less it's less spiky and it's less likely to just basically kill somebody very vindictively and randomly than the old version but it's also kind of less interesting as a result so i i I don't know i have complicated feelings about it um yeah are there any other uh, other cards that we should mention that are really memorable uh i mean there's a couple i like i like chaos manifest because it's the coolest sounding one i think in this chaos manifest yeah yeah (laughs) you know um I, I also kind of like, uh, from Secret Name, the strange geometry where you're, like, looking at some shapes and you get sucked inside the shapes or whatever. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's conceptually very funny. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, look at this coloring book over here. No, I'm inside it now. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> you have to, like, investigate in order to escape. Uh, I put a couple of cards in here. I, I didn't go through the uh, Return to cards, mostly because they're not on card game db yet as far as i know so yeah what's up with that <laughs> i and they're i guess on if, arkham db which is the database <laughs> i use uh i i mean i guess if we are if we are talking about return to cards i definitely hate vice and villainy a lot um, i was about to say <laughs> it's just it's it's very annoying it, it, it sometimes it's not going to do anything to you because you just have a couple of cheap cards in play that you can just lose to it but uh hey man it's just really really annoying feels feels bad 
Yeah, I think I think the one scenario card that I really didn't like seeing because it would happen at its strongest every single time is the witch, the the coven leader witch lady who oh, like yeah. had spawns at like two three two, but for every witch in the discard pile, she gets stronger. And for whatever reason, every single time I've seen her come out, there's always at least two witches in the discard. So she's just this ridiculously hard to deal with lady. And she and she does two points of damage, I believe. Which is like, yeah. if you roll into somebody who has like nine, that's fine for one hit. But still, you're like, okay, this is this is getting rough. Um, that was specifically for me one. I do really like the Court of the Great Old Ones. I'm glad that you put it on here, Ben. Just because that, like... It's it's one where once you move into it, I think you have to like investigate. It forces you to investigate, and if you and the haunted ability is your next action must be investigate. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you're somebody who is really bad int, you just have for, you're forced to investigate for the rest of the uh, the turn, which was really really thematically cool. It's it's very cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I put that on there because I like the art on it, and I also am I'm a sucker for any type of, like, little Easter egg, because, like, this is a location you can pop up and find, you know, in the last scenario when you're exploring around, so I'm always a sucker for that. I put, I, I uh, I like the art on the Piper, um, because they're, like, they, it's just bagpipes that are, like, Cthulhu-y, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no one likes listening to the bagpipes, how can we make bagpipes worse? Oh, let's make it a Cthulhu, yeah. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't like bagpipes, Ben? No, they're, they're everybody. Everybody likes bagpipes. I don't think that's true, Dan. I think they're notorious sure it for is. people not liking them for them being uh, very loud and weird sounding. But you know, Dan, how do you feel about bagpipes? Pro con? I'm I'm pro bagpipe. I think they're pretty cool. Specific right, bagpipes, though. The thing is, is that I and I guess minor spoilers for the end. Uh, this thing is supposed to be keeping Azathoth asleep, right? Bagpipes uh, are not historically known to keep things asleep. They're they're mostly known for the opposite of that. You so, don't uh, you don't put on a YouTube video that's like eight hours of soothing bad pipe music when you're trying to fall asleep at night because I I know I do. Uh, maybe it's just a difference in taste. Yeah, I guess I guess that's probably it. Oh, I I'll just mention a couple of enemies. Uh, I love the I love the spaghetti monsters from uh, from the final scenario the the space dancers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though Dane humiliatingly was completely unable to do anything about them when we played <laughs> RTTCU recently, it's because um, I didn't take the hammer, Dan. I guess, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. I guess you have to have some kind of excuse, right? Uh, but I, I, I like those. I like the purple spaghetti monsters. I also like all the ghosts. There's a lot of cool ghost enemies that reappear in some of these scenarios, and they feel kind of, they feel kind of spooky and kind of dangerous and kind of a, a different way from just like a big tentacle monster or something. So I, I like those. I mean, I don't yeah, think I, a, I don't think I made a slide for it, but like the Watcher is like a reoccurring enemy we see in a couple. Oh yeah, scenarios. I hate the Watcher. <laughs> yeah. The Watcher. Feels to me like a cooler fixed version of the Harbinger from TFA. Like I like it a lot better. That is true. Yes, I will. I will say that that is definitely true. However, I still hate the Watcher because every <laughs> in every single scenario, there's sort of this pivot point, right? Like the agenda advances, and you know that's when the Watcher is going to come, and like everything is kind of like tense by that point. And then when the Watcher comes out, it's just an additional FU. It's just an additional, like, one more not, thing to deal with. Not every scenario. I think, like, four, four, maybe five of them-ish. A lot of scenarios. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, I think it's at least four. I don't remember. Um, but, yeah. I like it as, yeah, I agree that it's kind of a more interesting version of uh, the Harbinger. That uh, it kind of comes back out. You always have to deal with it. 
Um, and it's like once it's on the board, it stays on the board. Like the harbinger, you have to like figure out how to poof as fast as possible usually, or cut it around, which is you know its own its own fun little challenge. Um, and I guess I guess the harbinger kind of scales with the number of players too, right? You need to like do a bunch yeah. of attacks on yeah. it to get rid of it. Well, in uh, this one, this one doesn't scale at all. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I guess I guess a multiplayer gives you more options because only one person has to deal with it. Like they have to go via it or whatever, but it never dies is the yeah. trade-off, right? And then there's also the encounter card that can completely heal it, and then it mm. it readies and engages somebody and hit smacks yeah. them, which is that so one, annoying. That one, they hilariously uh, in every scenario in return to that that card is is available. They had to add to the the return to extra text that said, "Oh, uh, it doesn't exhaust after it makes this attack." Just. <laughs> Oh, that's up. funny. I'd never thought of that. Because then it would just be exhausted the entire phase. Right. Because usually it's... Or for yeah. the entire round. In the regular one, which it's like a weird rule that like I think not as many people are aware of until they like dig deep into the rules. Um, which, like, after an enemy attacks, an enemy phase exhausts. Uh, and that one like makes it attack as if it were the enemy phase, so it should exhaust. And then they're like, oh, no, we don't want that. That's too easy. <laughs> so That's so funny. Yeah. Um... Yeah, any other any other cards that come to mind that you want to shout out right now? I mean, I think the only thing, and we're going to get into it, is is the the witch hexes, mm. which was like a big part. If you're not dealing with with you know weird other things, you're dealing with the witches hexes, and those are like a whole kind of game in their own right, right? Because there's two different ways you can deal with them. You can either uh, evade a witch and then just use the action to get rid of them for an action, right? Or you can take the will test to get rid of them. And there's pros and cons to either. It depends on which investigators you brought. And I, I kind of appreciate that fact, where, like, if one of your stats isn't, isn't good, like if you're a rogue, for example, <laughs> going into the Innsmith, you can at least get rid of it with your, with your super great agility. Um, unless you're, you know, Tony or somebody like that. But don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, there. It's definitely like an interesting challenge. It's like, oh, I have to either evade or uh, will test to get rid of it. Uh, with the evasion one, though, it kind of makes the cost way higher. So, like, if you're a low willpower investigator, you don't have anyone to help you out. You have to spend an action to evade, unless you're like Finn or whatever, and then also an action to get rid of them, which makes them pretty punishing. I think for um, for encounter cards, like two actions to get rid of them is pretty nasty. Well, but but another way to think about that is, unlike a lot of encounter cards, you do have two different ways to deal with them. Like a lot of encounter cards, it's just if you can't do a will test, something very bad is going to happen to you. With yeah. these, you can either do a will test or some type of like evasion test, right? Yeah, and you can also like weigh like how bad the penalty on them is. Um, like if it's like actually if you actually need to get rid of it, like if you get uh, like punishment, for example, near the end of the game, and you have a couple of hit points left. I'd be like, oh, I'm only going to kill like one or two more enemies. Like, I can take an extra damage or two. It's fine. Um, but some of them, it's like, oh, I gotta, if you get them early, then it's like, oh, I got to get rid of this. I can't be sitting on like a minus one to my first test every round or whatever. Um, bedeviled <laughs> specifically, game. I think, was that right? Uh, yeah, bedeviled's the one you can't trigger action abilities in your cards you control. So if you're like yeah. an asset heavy investigator, it's pretty bad. Um, if you're like an event heavy investigator, like maybe Safina or someone then maybe you don't care about, as much about Bedeviled. But, right. right. Did they, yeah, I feel like these, were these replaced by a different set in Return yeah. 2, I think? They because, were. Yes, they yeah, were. like, in Return 2, the one that's really annoying is the one that makes playing cards cost one more, and you can end up with multiple copies of that, and you just feel like, yes. I'm completely boned. Maligned, uh, I think it was called? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, yeah, because these are, like, Bedeviled is quite bad for people that are using, like, weapons, usually, or spells, like, like yeah. shriveling and Mystics stuff. Mystics and but, Guardians, basically. 
but for the most part, I feel like most of these you can just kind of play around. Um, yeah. the, return, the return two ones are harder to play around. And it's, it is, uh, yeah, the thing that always bothered me is, um, isn't there, there's one scenario that has these cards in it, but there aren't really any witches, or there's like one witch, that, like you can't really do the evasion at all. And that, depends, that feels kind of annoying. I think it depends what path you're on. Like if you're like allied with the witches, then yeah. there, there's enemies. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, which can make these a little nastier. Uh, but if you're like allied with the um, Twilight Lodge, then you know, there'll be witches, so... Yeah, I think these yeah. were just made generally worse in the in the return two because in the return two there's also an amped up version of racked, which is basically just every time you succeed a skill test during your turn, the next skill oh, test yeah. is done at minus one. So it's kind of like racked two point which is which was just if you're taking like if you just are dealing with a really big enemy or something and you have to take multiple actions, then you have to sort of like you know make the decision to commit more later and stuff like that, and it's it's really just kind of brutal to deal with but there are some investigators who are just taking one test right like some sometimes you know if you're pressing or somebody who's just scooping things up like auto and then you may might take one test at like 15 because you have well connected and you're you know rich then you you don't really care about it so yeah i, I think despoiled uh which is what you're talking about makes you play yeah. a little differently because it's like oh, i don't really want to take extra tests but i mean sometimes you're forced to actually it's just during your turn so it's not uh it doesn't Affect the mythos phase, so like right, right, right. Um, so you can kind of think about like, oh, uh, I'll do this test normally, or I'll try to avoid doing a test until I get rid of this or something. So, which I think has some play, um, but uh, I think it's probably probably a little bit more punishing in lower player counts. So, yeah, I think the one that stood out to me that's not here is the one in the secret name, um, which is I can't remember the name of it, but it has really cool art, and it says if you haven't moved during your turn. You just take two horror at the end of your turn, which is really brutal. Because <laughs> um, that definitely came up a couple of times for us when we were playing through with uh, Trish and Roland. And we're like, oh, we have to like finagle away for Roland to move once, which isn't too bad because he's got shortcuts and stuff. But still, it's like... Yeah, Pulled by the Stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which also does have very cool art on it. Um, but It really does. Yeah, so... yeah. Um, so what other, yeah, the mechanics, so another, another set of encounter cards we didn't talk about, I don't think is like, there's sets of like three treacheries that like the first like time or two, you, the first, first two you draw, don't really do anything. And it's like when the third one you draw, oh, something, yeah. something big, mm. big and bad happens. Um, or you, like, maybe you do a test to prevent it from like getting put next to the agenda. So you don't get three of them ramped up. Um, like the, the main one you see right away is like the demonic piping. You know, once you get three of those, the bagpipe monster comes out. You know, but there's also like Terror in the Night, uh like do will tests and the 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 will tests become harder. Or no, sorry, that's uh that's the agility one. What's that? Inescapable demise, the return to one. Mm. Uh, that one like, is so brutal. Oh, God, it's like it you, it starts off like it's a kinda of easy agility test, but every time you succeed, it's it worse. I think I, I can't believe we didn't mention that one, because yeah, that is really brutal. Both of both of the ones that scale like this. There's another one that has like depicts kind of cultists around an area, and it says like when you draw it, it's a peril, and you either take one damage and one horror, and it surges, oh, or that's you the, put it next that, to the agenda deck. Or that's something. the modified ancient evils. That's like yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah, I that one is fine. Like uh. that's like the easiest version of ancient evils that they printed. I think. 
yeah, like the first two you just attach, and after that you just take the damage. <laughs> um, and maybe you win yeah. one every time you cycle through the deck or something, so you just don't care. So the, the effect I mean, is like super ancient evils, though, right? Because I mean, it, if, if it goes off, it's very bad. It advances the agenda. Um, and I mean, it's yeah. it's very rough to take. Like taking one and one with no test to avoid it is kind of bad for a lot of characters. But by the time you have to do that, two of them are already attached, so there's only one in the entire deck. So it's not going to happen very often. Right. Yeah. Right. And they also you know, um, they can get milled and stuff by all the various uh, mill effects. Right. So. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. I, do these do these kind of like ramp up the tension at all? Like when you know you have two of them up there, or is it kind of like just it makes the beginning of the game maybe easier or something? Or yes, don't have a strong opinion. I don't know. I think that's what they're meant to do, but they I don't know if they completely do it. I for the most part, you can just completely ignore them. It's like the first two are just a surge, so they're they're just kind of like a thing that. Uh, well, I, I guess Terror in the Night you do, and Ultimate Chaos you do get a test for the for, for yes. them. So, but it so it's 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 fine. I don't know. I I, I think these are fine. I don't think they're incredibly interesting or bad. They're just okay. Uh, I've got yeah. Ultimate Chaos. Ultimate Chaos has that very cool art on the playmat. Dan constantly tries yes. to eBay for. I mean, uh, on the on the power ranking of playmats that I whine about not having, the Santa playmat is definitely number one. But this is like probably <laughs> number two. Yeah, yeah Ultimate Chaos. Ultimate Chaos and like Terror in the Night kind of do something specific in that while demonic piping just always happens because there's no test, you just throw it again next to the agenda deck and then it surges. Ultimate Chaos, I remember it being particularly annoying for us as Trish and Roland because the will test is hard and if you fail by three or more, it gains surge and it can't be cancelled, which means you just can't cancel it. Period. Like, like you can't cancel whatever else, whatever the next card is. Um... Well, no, the card that gains Surge can't be cancelled. It's Ultimate Chaos that can't be cancelled. And it can't be cancelled twice. Right. They wrote it on there twice. <laughs> so... And the and the attack from Azathoth can't be cancelled from it. Right. Right. Uh, I really I really don't like that. Like well, if you Azathoth... have a dodge in your deck, you should be able to use it. Yeah, you can't you can't cancel attacks from Azathoth at all, I believe. And I feel like I flip flopped on this a few times, but I'm pretty sure what the settled on you can't like play dodge because that's like a card effect or something. So uh, but yeah, Azathoth is pretty nasty in there, so you know, um, uh, there was one other set of mechanics I I didn't make a slide for, which I guess is like the the encounter deck uh, discard mechanics. Like we talked about vice and villainy, but it's like there's effects that like trigger every time the encounter deck goes off, and there's other encounter cards that are like uh, you know do a test, and for every point you fail by, you discard some cards. So it oh, that's right. It okay. accelerates how fast the deck goes out. Do you guys think, think it has that... a major impact on the game, or is it kind of like eh, it happens once a game, maybe? I wouldn't say it's a major impact. I think it does help to give the witches kind of a gameplay mechanic identity, which is neat. Um, so I, I like that about it. It's one. It's kind of one more thing that you have to remember to do a lot of times, uh, which is a little annoying. But I, I think it's cool overall. Yeah, those are the ones that when the agenda deck. Yeah, like when they goes uh, out, you like do a test or like something. Yeah, like take damage combine combine with a lot of cards that c- cause you to mill cards off the encounter deck. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I think in, in hard mode, don't like isn't there several scenarios where the tokens just like make you mill cards? So like those those effects are off. <laughs> yes. One of, one of the tokens is just like it's like minus two, but then you also mill cards equal to the difficulty of the test. Like even if you pass, it's not like the amount you fail by. So that you do some test. One, yeah. yeah, yeah, you can just mill like five cards sometimes. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It makes those cards a little bit scarier, I guess. Or do you just? I don't know. I guess it makes them more likely to fire off. Yeah, yeah. especially. I think it also like works pretty well with one of the types of cards, which was like it introduces a really high skill test, 
that you're not meant to succeed. You're just meant to, like, not fail by a lot. Which is kind of neat, because, like, I think up until this point, we've mostly seen, like, some hard skill tests, mostly kind of manageable, but this one is just, like, there's an agility five skill test. Or, like, Centuries of Secrets, I believe, is a will test that's five. And you're not meant to succeed it. You're mostly just meant to fail it, but not by a lot, and then it mills cards for you. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I don't know. It, it's an interesting mechanic that we see across the witches, which which kind of gives them an identity because it is like a thing that's like, oh, we're running out of time because it's gonna uh, all these effects are gonna fire off. But it's different than like the cultists because cultists have like their doom mechanic, which I think we mostly see the two mechanic is similar to how we've seen it in like the base sets. But um, so one other mechanic that we kind of see like we see this in every campaign where they try to come up with a unique way to like add the various spooky tokens to the bag like the cultists the tablet the the elder things in this one it's i think you you get cultists whenever you side with the solo trial lodge um, so you can kind of control that but at the very beginning of the campaign you have to pick like to accept your fate or reject it and that determines if you have tablets or elder things in the bag the whole campaign um I don't know if Dan ever cares about this, but I think Dane, Dane likes how it ties into the story usually. Uh, do you think this is like a good way to implement this, or is it kind of like a fire and forget? Like, Do you ever regret, like in Scenario 5, like, oh man, I wish I had picked the, got the Elder Things instead of Tablets this time? Or is it kind of like, eh, whatever. I like how different it is, because going back to playing other scenarios, for example, Carcosa, I think that what used to be something that I really enjoyed doing was something that actually just kind of got really annoying because Carcosa is specifically like almost every scenario. If it like, okay, depending on how much uh, conviction slash doubt you have, it's like pull out the tokens that you have from the bag and then put in these tokens. Um, and in Forgotten Age... Well, in Carcosa, it's like based on what... Dis- most of them, I think, is like a decision you make during the scenario. Yeah, yeah. What symbols you get, but sometimes it might be hard to uh, remember, like, oh, this decision gives me the symbols or whatever. And then forgot. Yeah, it's just based on if you side with uh, Alejandro or Ishtaka or neither, right? Yeah, and I think that, like, for me, Carcosa was like kind of like bordering on obnoxious, where you're almost every scenario you're you're changing chaos tokens out and putting new ones in. Um, TFA kind of got it right in that sense, where like it's very straightforward once you know. And in this, it's almost the exact opposite of Carcosa, where it's like, depending on one, one decision that you make at the beginning of the game, or, or the beginning of the campaign, you either put in one or the other, then you just forget about it. And then as you go along with like the, the, um, the Silver Twilight Lodge, you might be adding more cultists in, depending on you know, the decisions that you make, which, which feels, feels nice to me. It, feel, it feels like the least amount of management in that sense. And though I do like adding tokens to the bag... I think sometimes it adds just like here's a random four because why because because I hate you that's why is you know sort of yeah. how like I don't, I, don't, go. I don't think we've seen like here's a random minus four or minus five or whatever since like Carcosa have we this it's... yeah this one does it in Union Dissolution I believe that it just adds a random one yeah oh, okay. I don't remember I, I I've seen ones where like we add a specific spooky token depending on decisions I think but yeah yeah the ones that I think that's just just supposed to make the campaign feel like it gets harder a little bit if the bag gets a little spookier but i like it when it's more feels like it's based on decisions or, or resolutions rather than just like oh you're at scenario six here's, here's the bag's a little harder now so it feels a little more thematic i think um so yeah i agree 
I think it would have been weird to include these as like, you know, the binary path between either doing cultists or or the Silver Twilight Lodge versus the the witches because like the tokens don't really represent that. The cultists very much represent you know the the living, breathing people that you're interacting with, whereas like the elder things and the tablets are more sort of um, ambiguous and maybe a little esoteric in that you just don't really know what you're going for sometimes. Whereas like. And I think that they did a good job with that. Yeah. No, yeah, I kind of like it. Uh, I feel like it's better on replays because you kind of like understand how important that first decision is. And when you do it blind, it's just like, eh, what's my character feel like doing or whatever? So I don't know. It can make it interesting. I, and I, don't, I haven't actually gone through and like looked at mechanically like, oh, if tablets or squids are better overall throughout the campaign. So I don't know how well balanced that is. Um, but it could be cool to look at that. Like if you're trying to do expert or whatever, that's probably like pretty important which one you decide. So, um, so how about uh, let's talk about return to? So we we got in these return to boxes for each campaign so far. Generally, I think they feel like they make the campaign. They try to fix some. It's like a patch for the campaign. In a lot of the cases, where they'll fix some stuff, but also like introduces a little bit more randomness a lot of time. Um, sometimes it adds new mechanics. Um, so for return to, uh, I know you guys played it on stream. I think Dan and I played it in person last month in a marathon with Colin and I played it with friends. Uh, what do you guys think about return to? Does it make the campaign better or worse overall? I think Dan um, has a lot to say about this. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, so I wouldn't say that it makes it worse for the most part. But to me, it does feel different from the previous return twos, which were, you know, pretty straightforward upgrades that just generally made things better. Like, um, return to Dunwich is basically necessary to make Dunwich interesting at all. And <laughs> return to Carcosa was quite good. It added some interesting encounter cards. It was it was it was fun. Um, you know, Forgotten Age fixed some stuff we didn't like about Forgotten Age. Circle Undone, I kind of think it was just already quite good before the return to, and I don't really feel like the return to added very much. Like it, we've already discussed it basically swapped out some encounter cards for alternate ones that aren't really more interesting. They're just kind of different. Um, and in some cases, I think we're arguably less interesting. And uh, as we're going to maybe discuss later, I don't think it really did a whole lot in terms of making scenarios play differently. Like it didn't really change how any of the scenarios work on a fundamental level. Um, Except maybe Wages of Sin, which is a scenario I like a lot. And I think it kind of, I think Return to Wages of Sin had some changes that kind of annoyed me a little bit. Like it has this alternate win condition you can go for, but um, you kind of have to commit to that right at the beginning, which sort of gets in the way of the push your luck, how many of the heretics can you get challenge. So yeah, I I mean, for me, I, I think overall less impactful in the earlier return twos and in particular i was annoyed by what they did in wages of sin yeah i i think like the the scenario that people uh more more universally were frustrated with was the final scenario in this campaign because there's a big randomness element um because the map is very big it's kind of hard to move around the map um and like the the third stage of the map there's like four locations you need to find the right one if you pick the wrong one uh, a couple times in a row, you'll run out of Doom and Azazoth will smack you a bunch. And when, when Dane and I played it on Twitch a few weeks ago, we just miraculously got the correct location every time, so it was no problem yeah. at all for us. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I it was think, perfect. I Planned. Think, <laughs> I think all the times I've won it, which I think I've won it most of the time, it was 
I did get lucky and like find it in the you know the lower half of the cards like either the first or second one uh for each phase and that's very good and the ones where i lost it was like oh yeah it was the third one or the fourth one and we were yeah um so i was expecting return to you to kind of improve on that a little bit um because that's usually like they find whatever scenario people have biggest issue with and fix it i don't know if it really did uh it gives you like the option to get the night gaunts if you have enough uh oh yeah hat paths Spooky it's like a whole bunch of stuff that like if, like all the the trinkets that you're collecting yeah, matter and like yeah. decisions that you've made like the, if you're talk if you've twist, talked to the silver the twist of fate gives you points i forget what they're exactly called maybe they're just called tally marks i don't remember uh but if you have enough of them you can get the night gods to fly around and i did like the night gaunt mechanic uh which i don't think you guys got to do but yeah. uh it kind of gives you like a mount that you can use to fly through the empty space um and like takes damage every time you do that so you have like a limited uses on it so you kind of think about when you strategically want to use it to like move across the map kind of fast so i like that um but other than that i agree with you guys there aren't really major changes there's the addition of the witch focus path um which i think we'll talk about in a minute um but yeah otherwise it's kind of just uh um like the encounter cards are a little bit different or harder sometimes a little bit harder sometimes just a little bit different so I don't know if they did a good job of like quote unquote fixing anything that needed to be fixed. Um, I'd be interested to hear from people that like didn't like the original playthrough of Return of uh, Circle Done and if this Return Two changed their minds on it at all, either or or people that did like it and <laughs> thought thought it was worse. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that the one thing that kind of an aside anyway, the one thing that I didn't like too much about both the last scenario and the, the fourth scenario. Where that it's very luck based, it's very random, like very RNG. In that, if the heretics happen to be in the right place, then you have an incredibly easy time. I don't know what the percentages are for that to happen, but I've heard from people who are just like, where where we consider generally that to be one of the hardest scenarios maybe ever made um, to like get a hundred percent on. I know that the intent is not that, but. I've heard just some people say, oh, all the heretics spawned all at the right places, and it was super easy. And, like, yeah. that was our experience in the last scenario when Dan and I played through it. And it's definitely not supposed to be that. <laughs> You're definitely yeah. supposed to go through a couple first. But, yeah. you know, variance just kind of makes it a little trivial. And, like, for an end scenario, that felt like a like maybe a miss for me. Yeah, I mean, for Witches of Sin... Um... I think most of the time you have to get very very lucky to have like the ghosts in the correct place every time right um and especially especially with the return to it because it adds a couple more ghosts uh, it makes it even harder but uh yeah the wages of sin i like the the puzzle aspect where you're like have to look at each one figure out where location you have to go and figure out how to get it over there efficiently and um yeah i kind of agree with dan a little bit that the new objective takes away from that a little bit um so but but the thing is these new objectives you can just completely ignore um like right it's only if you want to like get the the new story text or whatever um which yeah yeah which i think people do play this game to experience different story paths yes Uh, at least i do i don't think dan does but uh, i can't be right that doesn't sound right (laughs) Um, uh no I, i mean i think i think like yeah to to boil it all down to like the biggest issue it's just that Previous return twos, I feel like, have really upgraded the encounter deck and made it a lot more interesting. And in Circle Undone, I think the encounter deck was already very good and very interesting and very fun to deal with. And the return two just kind of made it a little bit more annoying and didn't really change much else. 
So that's I, I think that's my main criticism of it is just that there wasn't there wasn't a lot that needed fixing about the encounter cards, and that's the biggest thing that we've seen in previous return twos. Yeah, I think I think maybe Dan, you're speaking more mechanically and how it pertains to like playing through, but there are a lot of changes that I really really love that return two did. For example, the tarot cards and that entire mechanic where tarot cards are great. Yeah, those it are adds great. like a whole layer, a whole new layer. Fantastic art. And um, you get now you can do it. It's just such an upgrade. Like it's such an upgrade to have because you can include these tarot cards in any other scenario. Um, you can and there's new like player cards that kind of revolve around like observed. Um, but the other things that it changes are that like I think for me anyways I really appreciated what they did with with return to because rather than upgrading and fixing like Carcosa did and it did very well. Um, this more, for me, almost felt like an entirely new, uh, a new campaign because all the skill tests were changed. Like, whereas will used to be the big thing, it's still a big thing, but now agility was really big because, and it kind of gave more stuff to do for rogues because you have like these really high agility tests and things like, you know, dodging the, the witches was even more important because the, uh, the hexes were worse. So like it kind of almost introduced an entirely different uh, scenario to me. And in addition, I guess the last thing that I'd want to say about it is that all of the different story beats that it included for me were a big hit because um, in the beginning, when you choose to accept your fate or not, it's very binary in that you basically almost never want to do the first thing because it adds two weaknesses to your deck. And yes, the Ace of Rods is a weakness. Um, (laughs) And... Instead, it adds a different thing that you can do instead of that, which is to to play with a specific tarot setup for the campaign, which was really, really big win for me. And in addition, it added more story where you get to interact with the witches a little bit more instead of them just being like these random witches who you're sympathetic for because you want to, you know, yell at the lodge and murder them all. So uh, it and then eventually, I, I think, as Lord Radboy's alluding to in the chat, it adds another win con. <laughs> Or or end of this end of the campaign, which we didn't get to do, but well, let's um, as another we, ally. Yeah, we we have a question about that, right? Yeah, I I agree. I love the tarot cards, and I'm excited to use those in the future campaign. So that that was a great include. I'm glad that I got in there. But yeah, otherwise, I I kind of agree with how you guys have been saying it. It mostly doesn't change too much. But um, but yeah, let's talk about the lodge versus the the coven. Um, so the original campaign, uh, you kind of like make choices uh throughout the campaign, whether you want to like. Uh, give information to the lodge about the witches or like kind of hang out with the witches more um in the original campaign there was like a big reward for like being loyal to the lodge well maybe everyone doesn't think it's a reward but there's a big big major story beat where you can um you know win the campaign in a different way uh if you side with the lodge Um, but there wasn't really like a big reward for siding with the witches so kind of the thing that Return to fixed, I guess, is they give you uh, an option uh, where you can pursue new objectives to kind of like more hard ally with the witches so you can get a, a, a new win condition for the campaign uh, for siding with them. Um, what do you guys think of like these two different paths? Um, is it cool? To, and does like this new one in the Return to uh, strengthen the campaign? Um, is, is it worth getting added in? I think for me, um, like I, I, you know, I always like different story paths. I like interesting things. I, 
uh, I don't know if the payoff or either either like staying loyal to either of these paths, the payoff is you kind of win the campaign early, and like, that's cool. But usually, I want to play the whole campaign. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the thing. A campaign resolution that just cuts off the last couple scenarios to me doesn't really count as like a real ending. Um, in the sense that you're probably not going to go for that one unless you just run out of time or you know something like something unusual happens. So, yeah, th- th- I, that's a little bit of a disappointment to me. They added a new path, which normally would be a great reason to go back and replay the campaign. If it, you know, made the scenarios play differently, if it made, made you know, give you new experience. But in this case, the main scenarios that are altered are Wages of Sin, which I already complained about earlier. And, um, the first, it, yeah, it, the first it, yeah, yeah, a, a little bit, but, it, but it's basically like, yeah, you get a, you, you do a different version of Wages of Sin, which I don't really like as much. And then you get to finish the campaign early, which is not that much of a reward, I don't think. So, I was a little bit disappointed that that was how that worked out. Yeah, in my in a playthrough with uh, one of my groups of friends I play with a lot, uh, when we played Circle and Unblind, uh, I always let them make the choices if because I, I I've already played it and you know they they, they hard wait into the Twilight Lodge and you know you win at the end of Scenario Five if you hard hard uh, go to Twilight Lodge and they're like uh you know we should probably just keep going <laughs> you know let's, let's do a little time warp and not make that last decision so. I don't know if that's common amongst other players. <laughs> I think there was a poll recently on uh, Twitter from MJ. It was like, oh, if you guys get an auto-lose in the mid-campaign, do you, do you keep going or not? And I, I bet you could ask the same questions. If you get a win in the middle of the campaign, do you keep going yeah. or not? Because, <laughs> um, yeah, usually you want to play the whole scenarios. Unless those like last scenarios are bad, but that's like a whole other problem, right? So... Um, but, uh, you know, I think this... this I, I did like the addition of like balancing it out in return to that like you at least have the option to like get a reward for the witches uh when dan and i played it with colin we ended up getting that reward and because we were kind of short on time to finish the campaign we did stick with it but it meant that uh you know that we didn't get to do the return to the other two or not so um the other reward for the witches is you do get erin as like an ally uh and she's pretty cool because she is like a she basically has like a ward effect against uh, some some not all the cards, but some of the cards in the counter deck, which is kind of fun. Um, so it's you know it's, I like I like it when we get allies that are like tied to the story and have some kind of thematic benefit. Um, like she wouldn't be as strong like if you carried her into another campaign, which is fine. I don't ever I don't ever do the um, what is it called? What do people call it? Intrepid investigators where you keep going. So oh yeah, yeah. campaign to campaign. Um, no, I. I like her a lot. I think that the inclusion of that was maybe like kind of a nod to the fact that you don't get the other investigators from the prologue until like scenario six and then you're done with them in two, two scenarios anyway. Um, but so I like that they included the option to get this earlier because I think you can get her as early as the end of scenario four, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I know she appears in scenario four. Yeah, you get her at the end of Wages of Sin if you complete her optional objective. Yeah, yeah. Objective. But you don't have the option to get her if you fail the objective in scenario one. Like, if you don't do that, then you optional right. one. Like, you always have to do the optional objective to keep going on the witch path, which is fine. Right. Um, I mean, there's... But other than, like, the major, like, uh, end of campaign uh, hard loyalty ends, there are other influences, right? Like, as we mentioned, uh, depending who you side with in, at the end of uh union and disillusion you get kind of a different uh theme to the encounter cards in in the clutches of chaos like you get the witches or the cultists 
Um, you get like a slightly different boss, which is the ones I put up on here. Um, do you think those right. have noticeable impacts? I feel like, I guess it's hard for me because I think most of the time I always side with the witches. So I don't, I don't know if I have as much experience with like the siding with the Twilight Lodge um, aspects. But I don't know. Do, does any of that impact you guys at all? They don't feel too different for me. I've I've played with both of them as the enemy, like kind of culminating at uh, Clutches of Chaos. And they both kind of have that thing where for each clue you have, they get minus health. Mm-hmm. And so like when Dan and I were playing and, and MUR plays, it kind of was just sort of anticlimactic. <laughs> when, 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 it, when they came out, we were like, oh, you know, we have to deal with her. I don't know if we're going to be able to deal with her because, you know, Roland's got X amount of damage and horror on him already. And like I'd have to shoot her three times and she has like, you know, five combat and that's really hard to deal with. And like, and then Dan was like, oh, wait, we could just get clues. And then Dan got like eight clues and then I shot her once and she was dead. <laughs> and, I, and that was the exact experience for me for Carl um, because I think I was playing Mark and Mark uh, just makes everything really easy. But also, like, you know, we had some really good person who was grabbing clues, some seeker. So, like, it was just really easy to blast down his life. And then Mark was just able to murder him in, like, three or four shots, which made it kind of trivial. So they, they both end up feeling kind of very similar, even though they're, they're kind of teched to be different right like one has alert one has a hunt or uh, retaliate and the other one um does something specific with breaches and then the other one like makes people take damage and horror if breaches are placed on their location so they do like different things minorly but are largely the kind of the same boss yeah i mean yeah for in clutches of chaos the the bosses aren't too different i guess if you have the cultists like against you that means you get like extra things that spawn doom on the board <laughs> Uh, which I think maybe could make that scenario a little bit tougher uh, because the yeah. threshold is so low and you have not too much room for error. Um, at the same time, though, if you like, don't have any incursions that have gone off yet, you can sort of ignore them more easily. Yeah. So there might be like a big... Usually I have like a one point in the scenario where like we can't avoid uh, an incursion and suddenly go from like zero to doom to like four and then it becomes right. a lot more tense. So at that point, they might matter more. Uh, I mean, the other scenario that's like uh, pretty different depending on whose side you're on is for the greater good, right? Because it's either yes. you have to like evade the enemies to get rid of the doom or uh, like parley with them, right? Um, which I think makes you tackle those enemies differently depending which playthrough it is. Which it does feel a lot uh, different. And yeah, when you're investigators, you might be like, oh, we kind of want to do the agility one, so let's you know sign with the witches or whatever. So yeah, it's it's similar to like Phantom of Truth, where like I think most campaigns have one scenario that has two significantly different versions based on choices. Um, and if not, they definitely should. Like, I, I always like yeah. to see that in the campaign. Yeah. I think that the one thing, as Dan was kind of talking about earlier, it also does happen in Union Disillusion, where kind of at the end, you either get the cultists who uh, who spawn as the generic corset cultists, or you get the cultists who spawn as, like, the Carl Sanford Lodge spooky cultists that you can parlay with. Um, but... That just feels like such an afterthought when you already have done uh, for the greater good, where the that's the entire shtick. The entire shtick is that like the whole of the lodge changes depending on if you've sided with them or not. So it's kind of like okay, it's doing this thing again, but I already went through this really fun scenario where this is the entire point of it. So um, I think for me, maybe clutches of chaos. The difference between the two is a little bit more of a miss, even though you get different enemies and things like that. Then 
for the greater good. For the greater good, I think, was the best scenario that used that kind of swapped and, and did that. Do you guys think there should have been a scenario that was like, you had to infiltrate the witches' hideout or whatever, or do something with the witches, that, depending if you were allies with them or not, uh, it played out differently? Or do you think like you only really need one of those, the campaign? <laughs> I would like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would have liked, I would have liked to see more if they could come up with an interesting way to do it. But, you know, it's, it's fine. Yeah, I think that was kind of the major critique the first time around, was that, like, well, we don't really get to see a lot of the witches, and maybe that's more of the reason why Eren was also introduced. Um, and Karma Sim and Chad also bringing up the fact that uh, after Union Dislusion, I think, um, you get a lot of flavor text about like how the witches are dealing with um, with Annette as she's changing into the horrible evil abomination ghost thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot more of an effort for you to connect with the witches in that way, which I appreciated. But I also just wanted to see more witch, more cool witch stuff, which we don't really get a huge like like a full scenario to to kind of expand on so yeah i mean the thing with the Aaron path is like the story text is like she's like kind of unsure of like the witches yeah uh, it kind of would have been cool if there was also like a cultist guy that's like uh i guess diana exists so maybe <laughs> maybe you only have that as an investigator but you know having someone that's like you know i'm not totally drinking the kool-aid here <laughs> um like that, that's kind of interesting uh from a story beat perspective it could have been cool if there was they enhance the cultists path a little bit more where like you know maybe there's some cultist that gives you a jelly bonus or something that can can help end up teaming up with you um and give you a little bit more insight into the the coven but or not the coven the the lodge but um so let's talk about the the real meat and potatoes here uh now that the campaign's been out for a couple of years we've played it uh many times between all of us what do we think the best scenario is uh, in all of the Circle Undone, either the Return to version or the the regular version? What's your What's you guys' favorite? Well, I think I think Dan, you're you're kind of a huge huge uh, proponent of uh, the Wages of Sin, right? I do like Wages of Sin quite a bit. That would probably be my pick. Although I like uh, For the Greater Good a lot too. I even like uh, Before the Black Throne actually quite a bit too. But yeah, I'd, I guess I would probably pick Wages of Sin. I, yeah, for me, I think uh, Wages of Sin is definitely like mechanically the uh, most interesting one. I think for us because of the challenge. I, I, I do like and I like Clutches of Chaos because it has like a different like puzzle. You have to that one's solve. great too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the one that usually comes to mind the most, even though mechanically, I guess it's kind of weaker, is the secret name. Mostly because of, really, mostly because of the stupid rat card is so memorable. But it's I, so I, good. <laughs> um, but you know, I kind of I like the exploring the weird dimension stuff. Like you're wandering yeah. through a spooky house, and each door you open is like a you know a different world. Um, I like the theme of that. Um, but. Uh, yeah, and then like Forty Thirty Good is fine. Uh, Death Doorstep is fine. You know, um, I guess Death Doorstep is actually, or is that the sec- name of the second scenario? It's the second one, yeah. Right, yeah. Like that one also is like plays a little different depending if you want to side with the lodge or not. Because you, if you want to side with the lodge, you like try to protect everybody, right? That's right. And, and you talk with out. um, what's his name? Uh, Can't remember his uh, name. Not HP Lovecraft. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so. 
that makes that one a little more interesting. But if you're starting with the witches, you kind of just let them all die. That was very easy. So it's not it's not very interesting if you're doing the witch side, which I think yeah fails a little bit more for the greater good. Depending either either path is interesting. So I think that's why it's that's a stronger scenario. Yeah. Or if you're like Dan and I, Roland takes uh, fine clothes to talk with him easier. And then you draw an autofail on the turns that you're trying to talk with him. And he's not talking with you. So then you just shoot him in the face. And everything is very easy. It's probably because Roland like, had his notebook out, even though he was wearing the fine clothes. And it was really obvious he was a cop. He had his fedora on still with the badge <laughs> on it. So like, that's just, a, you probably should have had somebody else talk to him. You know? that was, yeah. That's probably like, oh no, I'm not a cop. Uh, you know, that, that thing about cops having to tell you if they're cops, if you ask, that's actually not true. And I know that because, uh, and he looks, he pulls out his handbook. <laughs> I <forgot> to lie. <laughs> no comment. You know? uh, so, but yeah. Uh, but so Dane, what's your favorite then? What's your favorite scenario? It's really tough because I really love for the greater good a lot, mostly because of our, our all guardian run through it and oh, abusing yeah. the fact that we had like six to eight handcuffs <laughs> <laughs> and handcuffing every single, uh, every single cultist was ridiculous. But, um, so that one has a special place in my heart. I think I love the wages of sin and a little bit about the wages of sin that I, that I'm kind of thinking about now in terms of like ranking it anywhere is that R- wages of sin is the perfect difficulty in that it is, it is, the absolute hardest scenario without it being grown worthy, which is kind of like what the forgotten age our, our issue with the forgotten age is any more difficult than it would have just been that. But it's kind of like hits that perfect point where it's like, okay, as long as we get lucky with maybe one of these, there's a chance that we can do it. <laughs> so like, there's always, there's always like, there's a really, really, really good mechanical feel to that entire scenario. The map is really perfect. Like, the, when the watcher comes out, it's it's kind of a perfect timing because you're just starting to get a handle on everything, and then the watcher comes out and it's just miserable again. Um, but I actually, honestly, I really enjoy the first one quite a bit um, because it has that that scenario, the the mechanic that's only introduced again or reintroduced again in Unit Illusion, where all the locations are in front of each investigator and you can't deal with you can't touch anybody else, like everybody's separated. And that led to some weird rules things, I remember, <laughs> where, like, it's sometimes impossible for you to, to advance, and then you just die. Uh, but I, yeah, I like, like that mechanic. The initial pretty, I think there was, it was possible you could get not enough clues in certain player accounts, depending on which random ones you yes. got. But they were at it, they right. fixed it, you know? So, you know, sometimes that happens. Uh, yeah. But you're... Uh, you're actually completely wrong about <laughs> the witching hour. That scenario is very bad. You know why it's bad? Because it's impossible to arrange the locations in a way that you can understand what what's connected to what visually. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> like, because once you have... before the witch's circle comes out, they're all like connected well, in some way. And, and even it's just then, like, there's like the the witches the the witchwood locations are like all connected to each other in like the center area, but not but they're not all connected to the Arkham Woods, and the Arkham Woods are connected to each other, but only connected to a certain. Which witching out or which is wood locations or something like that. Every time I try to make a map and I try to connect everything, and it always looks like a gross mess. So, you know, I guess that's my fault for trying to like connect the locations visually instead of just looking at the symbols. But uh, no, I don't like that. Yeah. It frustrates me. No, I, I think that it's one of my favorite scenario ones of any of the campaigns because it does such a good job at like kind of setting the tone. Because you're in these woods, you don't know what just happened. 
and there's witches around you, there's people casting spells, there's there's all weird things happening with the discard pile. Um, I think it just kind of strikes the perfect tone to, to kind of enter into the rest of this, the, the campaign. And honestly, I would have loved to, now that more people are talking about it, and by more people I mean us and the folks in chat, I would have loved to have seen, like, the witch camp and, like, go into the woods a little more and have that more, like, gothic horror vibe be touched in a way that we kind of really didn't get other than in this one and in the um the wages of sin because that's in a graveyard right so like i like the outdoors ones mostly except for for the greater good where you can just be you know police and, and handcuff everything so yeah um yeah but uh while we're talking about <laughs> the scenarios we didn't like as much uh anyone that are big flops for you guys in this or you kind of like all of them at least at the last one level before the Blackthorn, hands down. That's that's the most metal scenario, Dane. That's like the uh, that's you know that's like the uh, Mastodon soundtrack scenario, right, or whatever. Like the, it would be good. I think every every part of that scenario is totally fine, except for the fact that they didn't want to print cards for empty space, so somebody has to use the cards from their deck. It's so bad. We've, we've and, hit the we've hit the center bingo space, which is like Dane picks one particular thing that drives him absolutely insane. It's, uh, it really is. It really is. It's well, so bad. It it they don't even need well, ben, it. Ben hates yeah. it too. Interesting. It, it's, I, it's so bad. They don't even need it. The Mythos Busters release these really cool empty space tokens, and MJ herself said. The only reason why they didn't use like things like that was because they couldn't really print anymore, or they couldn't like print specific cards for this thing. So it's totally fine if you use those. And now I'm going to use those every single time because I hate like all the things I just been experience on. They're going to be out there. You know it. It's the same you, reason like when you when you get double double, that shit's at the bottom of your deck every single goddamn game. <laughs> this is this is a problem with a very easy solution, which is every time someone starts talking about making story decisions or who should be the lead investigator, just roll your eyes and make fart noises and you'll never be the lead investigator. It works great for a friend of mine. It works <laughs> virtually all the time and he never has to be lead investigator ever. His cards never get turned in empty space. Uh, you know, it, it, this, this is a problem. This is, this is a solved problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the mechanic is kind of finicky, especially if like different people have to pull out cards, which can happen. Like it's so, that that's not great. Um, it, it, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely it, bad and awkward. Do, do you feel the same way about swarms, though, Dan? Sorry to interrupt you, Ben. I'm just curious. Well, swarms are fine because you can kill them and then just get your cards back. Yeah, sometimes it sucks because they go to your discard pile, but some people don't mind, right? Like York doesn't mind. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is similar to swarms. It is kind of awkward. Uh, I guess I always just kind of the reason I don't like to use a substitute is I just assumed that like all the playtesting and balancing was was somehow done around this. But you know, if the massive the massive amount of playtesting that was done about this specific issue. Yeah, I mean, if that's just blatantly a bad assumption, then I guess I might be okay with just using the the cards that those players gave us. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) to use as substitutes, Uh, because I yeah, I just I I, I'm always hesitant to like do some type of house rule because I assume that. Yeah, balance. It was balanced around whatever mechanic people don't like. Um, I guess it's because, like, like the way that you would have known is that, like, ooh, it, it, you know, sometimes empty space can become flipped. Oh, and then you take horror depending on whose card it is. Oh no, you know, like, like if they did anything like that, where empty space becomes like, ooh, it's a, you know, fragment of your memory, and oh no, Roland's going insane or whatever. Like that would be something, but you literally don't interact with them beyond beyond like moving on them or you know, move 
moving the locations all all across them. So like, there's literally no mechanical benefit to doing that. And and if anything, it's just a deficit that feels bad because it takes your cards. I think the best strategy is to just take your copies of Sled Dogs and just use those as the uh, empty space. Just put those put those in the circle on Dunbox and just uh, you know set them aside. There's four of them, so you only need like two copies of uh, you know Edge of the Earth. <laughs> Um, um, in in terms of flops, this is I mean this is maybe going to be unpopular because I think there are people in the chat talking about how much they like it, but the secret name doesn't really work too well for me. I mean it's the the fact that there's only rats that keep getting bigger. There's not any more interesting enemies. Um, just the structure of it doesn't. There's not a. We've talked a lot about how mechanically interesting a lot of these scenarios are, and the secret name just kind of isn't. So that that one doesn't totally work for me. And I would also say. Um, Union and Disillusion, I mentioned earlier, just not a lot going on. It's fine. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it's not a bad scenario. It's just most of the ones in this campaign I really, really like. So those two are the ones that are just kind of like, yeah, they're all right. Uh, do you think Return to change that opinion at all or not really? No. <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't really change anything about those scenarios, which was, which was one reason why I was disappointed in it. I mean, uh, what about, you love Wages of Sin, does the return to Wages of Sin, if you're going for that extra thing, make it drop out of your favorite, Dan? Or is it still your favorite, even in Return to? I mean, I, so, the, I've now done Return to Wages of Sin twice, and both times I was playing with weirdos that really wanted to try to get the new story path for some insane reason, and I indulged, I indulged this perverse desire, right? Because whatever, it's a new campaign, you gotta make accommodations for people with with weird hangups going on. Uh, that's over now. From now on, we do Wages of Sin, return to, not return to, I don't care. We're going for four heretics because that's real, that's real gaming. Okay? That's real. That's real that's, gaming. That's, that's, that's I definitely what, think that's what Arkham Horror the card game is all about is getting all four heretics. So, <laughs> the answer to your question, no, I don't care because it, you, you, we're just never going to try to do that again. Part of the meticulous balance of the Wages of Sin was around getting the like getting the four heretics. Yeah, and like oh, yeah. the fact that it's that they alter that in that specific scenario feels like a miss to me too. Because like they could have done that on the third scenario, or they could have done it on the fifth scenario, where there's yeah. not as much going on, I, and it's not I, as much of a pivot. I think they even could have set it up so that the kind of different way that you complete the scenario, the different goal is more aligned with or compatible with trying to get all four. I think they could have like, yes. they could have figured out some way to make it so that the two are, don't like clash with each other. And they, it really annoys me that they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean the, the way they did it in the first scenario, you have to like evade everything instead of kill all the clues. Right. So it's like, oh, that's, that's right. The, yeah. That's the third way. To yeah. Stuff. yeah. Or handcuff stuff. Handcuffs MVP, man. I mean, because like I know I'm, I know I'm like really going overboard with like complaining about Wages of Sin, but that's that's legit like a top five scenario in the whole game for me. Like I really, really like it, and yeah. it feels like they kind of screwed it up in a really unnecessary way for Return Two. So I was, I, I, I am very annoyed by that. But I, I mean, I still like, you know, I, I wouldn't tell people like don't buy Return Two to Circle and Done. Like there's still cool stuff in it. It still will will give you a different experience if you play it. So it's 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 still fine. I'm just it, this feels like a real like own goal that they kind of screwed up one of my favorite scenarios for basically no reason. Yeah. And I guess Conrad in chat is saying or, or uh, sorry, Batboy in chat is saying that we, we didn't really mention anything about it at that store step. 
I think it's because because that that scenario is like mostly pretty benign. Like nothing super huge happens. It's cool. Good. Like I like I like how it, you know all the location slips and it gets yeah. really spooky. I l- actually love that scenario in the return to specifically because there's a lot of new cards. Like the one that adds a shroud and kind of like moves around. It kind of makes you think about where you're leaving some clues and where you know you can kind of like get them off of the place that has victory on it so that you can move in there and get the victory. Um, there's a lot. I think there's a lot more cooler dynamics that are happening in that in the return to there's also they, the added, uh, they added Senator Rutherford yeah. Delano Hoover, whatever the hell his name is, you know? Uh, yeah. The, yeah. There's, there's cool. a Senator guy at the beginning. And there's also like, like a guy that's just like a clearly evil jerk. That's the character that pops out to like add Stu or whatever. Oh, that's uh, right. Which, yeah. Which yeah. Is, which is just kind of, kind of fun. Um, yeah. I mean, death's doorstep. I didn't talk about it too much because, yeah, it introduces like the flipping of the, the locations being swapped out, which I guess is maybe a little bit finicky when you do it, but uh, it is cool. It's like, oh, you're in the mansion, then oh no, you're sucked into the mist, and now everything's spooky, and you got to get out. But as I said, I think it kind of whiffs if you're doing like the witch's path, and you just say, I don't really care if all the guys die. I think the challenge comes from if you're like trying to save everybody there, um, and if you're not trying to do that, it's just kind of a kind of a dud. So I mean, obviously, it's much harder. Yeah, like when that happens. yeah. You obviously could just decide like every time you play the campaign, oh, let's go for the harder the harder difficulty. But there's also like no, I don't think there's like a bigger reward really, other than that you get. I guess you get to go on the cultist path, which you could win. I think you get more experience too if if you get a MP hate craft. I don't think so. I think if you die, if you if he dies, or if he's in the victory, I think you get or 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 he's tucked or whatever. I think you get two experience either way. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me the worst scenario. Uh, I th- I think it's Union Dissolution just because uh, we mentioned already, but I, I like the, I like the theme of the birds. You know, birds are spooky. It's cool, but mechanically, it's usually feels pretty easy. Like it's not uh, challenging enough. I think because um, it's like scenario six. Uh, you usually have cards you can go to the circle test. The enemies aren't that bad. The birds aren't that bad. Um, and there's no like big the watchers hanging out, but you can like kite the watcher around because it's like a big circle. Uh, if you need to, or you can just evade it or whatever. So that one, I I kind of think back to as a go. This is like a critical story point. You know, it's the third act because of the laser beam. Um, but you know, I, I think it's usually just like I just got to get kind of got to get through this one in order to get to clutches of the chaos. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Said, That's how it feels to me too. Yeah, and I, I haven't had the as I said, I haven't had the crippling experience in Black Throne where. Um, you know, I just lose it a bunch because I pick wrong. I, I pick I pick right uh, a lot of the time, so therefore I, I'm just it's very good. You know, and anyone that oh, picks yeah. wrong, I don't know what you're doing wrong. You know, so <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. So I guess the last thing we wanted to think about about uh, Circle and Done is the player cards that came out of, in it. Are there in player cards that like came out that you guys still use um that are really good standouts like they're still very good mechanic cards either like you generically use them or maybe like you have certain investigators that really like them a lot um i threw a bunch of them on the slide here because i went through them i was like oh man there's actually a good chunk of cards that you uh you forgot henry Wan, everyone's favorite (laughs) uh yeah i'm surprised you didn't mention uh mr rook (laughs) mr rook Uh, is like danny's like literal best friend yeah and like I mean, the first just, card that you've ever just just looking at this list, it is like, oh man, there were a lot of really important cards yeah, in this cycle. There really were. Like, uh, so so it, what strikes me is there were a couple of cards in this cycle that we kind of immediately realized were very good and were very interested in. So things like 
you know, Hallowed Mirror, Drawing Thin, um, the tarot cards, like we were kind of on board immediately. Um, and those, a lot of those are still great, but there's a lot of cards that we, I think, I think we kind of underestimated just how great they were. So, I mean, Deny Existence uh, turned out to be incredibly strong and probably should be nerfed or banned or something. Crack the case, like, we started playing it immediately, but at this point, I would say it's probably the best economy card in the game, or it's it's certainly up there. Yeah, um, it, and stuff, yeah. it's it's just kind of yeah, it, it's just it's just kind of nuts how good it is, right? Like, right. Um, you know, things like like even like knowledge is power, a card that they, yes. they had to bump up to two XP, and honestly, probably should just be banned. Um, like it's there were a lot of really good player cards in this in this uh, cycle. Yeah, I think my favorite, as many people know is Hawkeye folding camera <laughs> and it definitely better at lower player counts, but that's one of my favorite things about some of the cards is that um, they change based on like their viability changes based on the player count. Like there's a bunch of cards that are really good at three people, etc. So like, those are my favorite things to include. Um, it's it's and... a really exciting card because it kind of inverts the way that player cards normally work. Like normally right. player cards are things that you put in your deck and they do good things for you. Hawkeye folding camera is a card that you put in your deck and it makes you do things. <laughs> or, else, or else it doesn't do anything for you. It's really exciting. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you put Another Day, Another Dollar on here and not Studious, because that's a yellow card that Dan actually uses. And well, Studious both, is just like... They're both very good. I mean, Another Day, Another Dollar is great, too. Oh, made, oh sure, yeah. When I made this slide, I couldn't just put the secret cards on it, Dane. I had to put some diversity in here. <laughs> well, well, here's... Here, here's a here's a survivor card that that's not on the slide. I mean, obviously you can't put all the cards on the slide. I'm not saying Ben did it wrong, but uh, Act of Desperation, a card that I I think I underestimated when it first came out, turned out to be pretty good. Yeah, this is true. It's a yeah. fun, solid, and fun card. It's stronger in some decks than others, but like it's great to have like a way to like make use of your empty weapon um, at level zero. So it's a great one to fun it throw. It's out. it's the rare non guardian tactic that is actually good for Mark. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Other than that, shortcut. yeah, we didn't we didn't really get into it, but like this this uh, set it like introduced a whole new slot to the game with the tarot card, right. and it's like yeah. the tarot cards are like they're not I guess they're not super exciting the base level ones the level one ones, but it's like oh I have something to spend one experience on I put this in my deck I try to mulligan for it and then you maybe later you have to decide like oh is it worth trying to play this otherwise it's kind of a dead card so that's kind of cool. The return to set, I didn't put anything the return to on here, um, even though those the player cards were on Arkham DB, uh, because I, I don't think we were that excited about the return to ones. Like the new, the some of the new tarot cards are like interesting for specific investigators, but there's none that are like staples that I like put in a lot of decks. Um, yeah, they're a little more specialized. The, the world is really, really good, I think. But honestly, I've I've had several decks where I tried to fit it in and I never could, just because it's so much XP. It takes up your tarot slot. Yeah, um, I have experiences with the world, and I really didn't like it. On the investigator who draws the most, which is Norman. Norman? No, Harvey. Harvey. Yeah. I, I played it in Harvey, and I was like, oh man, I'm going to draw so many cards with this. This is great. And then I was like, oh yeah, my hand size is ten. Generally, because of um his his uh signature or having the lady out it just and i'd never got it in my opening hand once (laughs) and then when i did get it in my opening hand or when i did find it i was like i don't want to pay three resources for this and then i just tossed it it felt really bad and i think that we might have like overhyped it because i'm probably just never going to look at that card again um, the card that I really do like, though, is the star, because it actually incentivized me to play Tommy Muldoon, and uh, I actually really enjoy it. 
it's really, really fun to get out like a fine clothes for one after having it in your opening hand. And suddenly your fine clothes is two and two and it's giving you four dollars back. And like your medical students are two and two for two and you're getting four dollars back. I feel like it actually makes Tommy really good, which is weird because I Tommy was like one of my least favorite investigators in the entire game up until that point. So yeah. I'm happy. For- yeah, it's it's good to see when we get cards that kind of boost up the weaker investigators. So that definitely helped there. Uh, and this this set also had the um, multi-class cards the first time we saw them. Obviously, oh, that's right. Recently, that's right. Edge of the Earth. Though I don't know if I really use any of them except like Enchanted Blade pretty generically. Um, Scroll of Secrets, after it got errated, I use it in um, maybe Norman and I use it in Gloria. Yeah. Um, it's solid. But uh, I don't. The other ones don't really stand out as much. There's like only five of them. I mean, I I can tell I can I can tell you haven't played Amanda because you would definitely be rocking grizzly, the totem, grizzly totem. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and Min Min loves the grizzly. Yeah, totem. The, yeah. The upgraded totem is incredible for for basically Min and Amanda are probably the only two people who play it, but it is very very good for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've used booze a few times, and I love the booze. I, I will never not love the booze because I'm a rogue player. Um. And it has some weird, funny interactions um, in that, like, Rita can take it, and I think the red one dodges, like, evades something when you smash it over somebody's head. So, like, she also gets the extra damage off of it, which is kind of neat. Um, the green one is actually pretty good because it lowers the cost by one, and then it gives them plus three to a will test, which is something that, like, rogues are historically pretty bad at. And then also, you can smash it over somebody's head, and it actually does plus one damage, which is really, like, kind of fine. Um, so I, I do like Tennessee Sour Mash a lot, but, um, I know I can, I can acknowledge that it's not, you know, up to the quality of some other, some other uh, multi-plus cards. Yeah. But yeah, uh, no, a lot of good cards in this set. So, um, I, I was just, I'm, I'm surprised when we go back and do these visits and be like, oh yeah, like that's where these, all these cards came from. Like, I don't even remember playing without these before. They're great. So, uh, and, once- uh, and. And a pretty interesting set of investigators too, right? Yeah. Like we we got a, uh, you know, the guardian and the seeker kind of both are like non traditional examples of those classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Preston and Diana both have like pretty weird mechanics. Rita, yeah, I right. think is, Rita, I think is a miss, but you know the others are all pretty pretty cool. So yeah, I, yeah. I hope, I'm hoping someday there will be some more tricks or something or something to help redeem Rita. Uh, she does run really fast. I wonder if she, I kind of want to try her in Edge of the Earth. Um, cause I haven't tri- you know, I don't think we've tried her since this originally came out because uh, Dane had such a bad time playing her. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll try her in Edge of the Earth in one of my, I'm sure, many pages of that I'm going to do. So, but yeah, um, yeah, pretty cool overall. I guess, uh, there weren't any, like any, there were barely any skill cards in the set. There was like one cycle of them, which is like steadfast and. Oh, that's right. Um, that's right all the, uh, the other cards that aren't steadfast. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> technically, the only one, <laughs> yeah. is the only one I, I use. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Able bodies, those ones. So Prophecy, yeah, yeah. The one, oh, the yeah, one thing I did want to mention, though, uh, in addition to the, the player cards that we already talked about, is that Big Money made its first appearance here for Rogues, in that Big Money has, like, uh, well-connected, and it has the, uh, the event that scales based off of the half of your money, and... Um, oh their thing this was kind of like the first appearance of that because preston became i I mean i think people have been trying to do big money to to some success uh i know people like doing it like jenny and skids but this one added a lot more support to it because preston needed it Um, yes so it's definitely it's definitely good to see like 
if there's an existing archetype that people are trying out, I'd like to, it to be actually supported with new cards. Um, yeah. So that's always very exciting. Um, yeah. So that's definitely a cool one. Now, now that is a deck I try sometimes in in Rogue. I try to go big money. I did it with Bob. Uh, worked out great. He paid for lots of items and didn't do anything else really. But you know, so. <laughs> so um, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on on the circle and done guys um, that we didn't go over? Uh, take take two copies of Fine Clothes and two copies of Handcuffs, mostly because those cards are both fantastic and really cool. But uh, also because you're you're dealing with some weird cultists and you got to talk with them. Fine clothes makes it easier to talk with them, and when you're not talking with them, you're cuffing them. <laughs> what? Oh man! Uh, great, really, really fun campaign. I still think kind of a high watermark for uh, just interestingly well designed scenarios uh, from a gameplay perspective. Um, so I'm always happy to always happy to revisit it. Um, even even though as as discussed, you know, a, a little bit disappointed by the return too, but still a really fun campaign. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and I, I feel the same. I enjoy it uh, in multiplayer, and I like the new story pass added in the campaign um, for the most part. So you know, overall, pretty great, good times, and the tarot cards are great, uh, the real physical ones. So I'm glad those. Yeah, guys. those are those are really cool. ABC always be cuffing. Thanks. Thanks, Conrad. I love that uh, <laughs> playing Gary Ross. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, thanks everybody for joining us tonight in stream and to everybody who's listening on the podcast or on YouTube. Um, just a couple bits of news before we sign off tonight. Uh, tomorrow, Friday, January 7th, um, I think it's at 4.30 or 5.30? ET. Ben and Harrison are going to be playing through By the Books, uh, which is the Roland parallel scenario that came out to kick off our new Noir Plays series. Um, ben and Harrison are going to be playing uh, through each parallel investigator's unique side story with the uh, original version of the investigator and the parallel version of the investigator. So uh, check that out tomorrow night. Uh, and then lastly, Harrison and I are going to be joined by our friends uh, Captain Franis and uh, Comfort Noise from our Discord, and we're going to be playing through the, uh, the blob that ate everything for the Horror Without Borders uh, charity stream event. Um, and if you don't know too much about that or what that is, um, it's on January 8th, um, it's Saturday, and uh, you could check out the uh, Mythos Busters um, site for more information on that. I believe that they have an article on it. Yeah, it's a charity event. Uh, so a couple, couple different community creators are going to be doing streams of various things um, and raising money. So that'll be a fun event. And there is a blob which uh, people can sign up and participate in, uh, which is what daily streaming so do we uh last thing before we go do we want to briefly mention the possibly spoiled next campaign title or are we going to keep that on the download for now no i I didn't want to know what you're talking about i didn't want to force that upon people dan okay Um, that's fine i just (laughs) i didn't say it i just now it's there and it's and it's like a worm in their brain they're not going to know it's it's out there (laughs) there sometimes people post spreadsheets with with product names on them and yeah that's how you you get names so you know you can can ask me you can ping me on discord i can tell you if you you don't know um uh, you know what you know what I'm just gonna spoil it right here. It's called Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, and uh, I'm I'm really excited about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not what it is, Dan. Uh, 
Dang it. Uh, all right. Dave, you want to you wanna tell people how to like like and subscribe and stuff? We got to get the... <laughs> yes. Got to get those interactions, um, comment on stuff. Yeah. Folks, what was your favorite part of the Return to the Circle Undone? Uh, least favorite part? Is Brown Jenkins still haunting your dreams at night? If you need any resources for ridding yourself of pesky evil rat people in your dreams, or just have something you want to ask us, email us at comments at mur.fm. Uh, to stay current on what we're doing, you can follow us on uh, social networks like Instagram, Twitch, or join our Discord server. Uh, you can find all the links to these at uh, social.mur.fm. And if you really enjoy what we do and want to get more involved, you can become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash University Radio, or just leave us a nice review on your favorite podcast source. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. See you, friends.